Hey, patrons, this is Scoots, and uh, this is a quick message because I will mix you up. So this episode, this Great British Bake Off bonus show, normally just goes out to 10 and $20 patrons, but I'm putting it out to everybody just as a little makeup so you have an extra episode to listen to because I do like the TV episodes to be spread out every third episode is which it would have been normally doing in the past year plus based on patron feedback and people actually canceling their patrons because uh, TV episodes so it's happened more than every third episode. So, like, I'm just giving you this kind of as a, like, because uh, what happened was I just had some computer workflow things that came up over the holidays. And then so some of the files, were I, I mislabeled them. So ended up, instead of putting out the Jet, instead of putting out the Siege, the Jedi, and then Oso oh Sleepy, which also has another title, I ended up putting out the Siege, but I titled it the Jedi. Then I put out Oso. Oh so sleepy so that would have been episode 12 or uh, chapter 12 then i put out chapter 14 and then uh, just yesterday i put out chapter 13 and that kind of happens with the patron feed just because it's coming out early so any workflow issues are going to impact it uh it's kind of a normal thing it's one of the nice things actually about having the patrons there because you say hey scoots this is uh, it was a couple of patrons that reached out to me and i really appreciate it said hey this is labeled this but it, the content is different so thank you so much for that and yeah um what was I saying? Oh, so this episode is a Great British behind the Great British Bake Off, so kind of facts and stuff from the show. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, beautiful bakers, friends beyond the binary, boys and girls. Emma Pay, Trump apes. Are you ready, patrons, for a great British Bake Off bonus? background episode this is going to cover i assume it's going to cover episodes three and four of uh, the episode some facts that came up so just kick back and uh let's take a trip shall we to the traveling man uh comic book shop you can find on twitter at traveling man uk it's a two-time eisner award finalist shop and leeds manchester newcastle and york they're sponsors of the Thought Bubble Festival, which is actually going on almost when I'm recording this. Uh, it's a digital Comic-Con, uh, so that's pretty cool. So let's but let's go to their website. Um, oh, whoops, that's not their website. That's our next article. And let's just see if we can find out a little bit more about this uh, shop. Uh, home, new releases, shop online. Our story. That's what I want. So this is right from its uh, website. Uh, uh, traveling, and I'll paraphrase and quote uh, from their own words. A traveling man had humble beginnings in the 80s, the late 80s, when Nabil and Simon were looking to use their passion for role-playing games to escape their dead-end jobs. They started a play-by-mail game called Star Marines, which ran for some time. Before looking up to notice the extensive library of games they had amassed around them, and they had a bright idea. Named after the prototypical adventurer from the games it continues to sell today, Traveling Man became a mission statement and the company name. To always be moving forward and exploring the rich genre and worlds that games, comics, and independent press have to offer. Uh, the first uh, shop popped up in 1991 on, at Hyde Park Corner, 
then a year later, it already expanded and relocated to Leeds City Center. Today, our flagship store is joined by branches in York, Manchester, and Newcastle. Three-time Eisner-nominated store reached the finals twice. We have a pride ourselves in having a lovely community around our store. We have tournaments, comic signings, other events. And we sponsor the Thought Bubble Festival and the Aircon Festival. So that's pretty cool. But let's find out even more about them. That's their story. There's also our stores. Oh, that just has the stores. Uh, Leeds is on Central Road. York is on Good Ram Gates. Uh, Newcastle's on Granger Streets. Manchester's on Dale Streets. And you should visit them. They're UK's friendliest uh, comics and games shop. Uh, so that's a little bit from Traveling Man. All right, so one of the things that was made on this, uh, or style of cooking that was used in this episode was Tang's, Tang Zong, uh, and I looked this up, it's at kingarthurbaking.com. It's a technique for softer yeast bread and rolls. This article is written in March of 2018 by P.J. Hamill, and again, I'll be paraphrasing, uh, and quoting from it, uh, if you want to elevate your favorite dinner rolls to pillowy softness, one simple step, uh, or your sandwich bread, cinnamon rolls, or sticky buns, the answer is Tang Zong. Tang Zong, is that right? Tang Song. Tang Song, right? Uh, it's a technique that's gradually making its way in American kitchens. Uh, it's, uh, a lot of people expire to be artisan, which has a chewy crust. But let's not lose sight of the whole world of classic soft yeast breads, so like sliced white bread or a Sunday morning platter, or sticky buns. Too often, our quest for super soft rolls uh, falls short of our dreams. Brioche buns are chewy or dry, or cinnamon rolls can be tough. Well, try Tang Zong. Tang uh, Zong. With origins in Japan, it was popularized uh, by Yvonne uh, Chen. Uh, in her cookbook, Asia, which is a Chinese cookbook. Uh, it cooks a small percentage of flour and liquid, water or milk, in a yeast recipe very briefly before combining the resulting thick slurry with remaining ingredients. And it has affect your dough. It pre-gelatinizes the starches in the flour, meaning they can absorb more water. In fact, flour will absorb twice as much hot water or milk as it does cool or lukewarm, or a milk you'd usually use in yeast dough. Not only does the starch absorb more liquid, it's able to hold on to that extra liquid, which in turn means uh, there's less uh, unabsorbed water in the dough, so it's less sticky, easier to knead. The bread or rolls may rise higher because uh, there's more internal steam, which makes bread rise. And it could retain more water during baking, so they'll be moist and stay softer, fresh longer. And I'll link to it. There's uh, uh, a link to the article because it has a bunch of uh, recipes. Let's see. Yeah, let's see how you just start it. Uh, So so you put a total amount of flour and milk into, well, three tablespoons of measured flour, half a cup of measured milk, uh, and put them in a saucepan over medium-high heat. Cook the mixture, whisking constantly until it thickens. Uh, then it'll become a slurry, then transfer to bowl, combine it with the remaining flour, milk, and other dough ingredients. And then the, this one's a hot cross bun. You could also do regular buns. 
So, yeah, I'll link to it. P.J. Hamill grew up in New England, graduated from Brown, Maine journalist, joined King Arthur Flower in 1990. P.J. bakes from her home in Cape Cod, where she enjoys beach walking, her husband, three dogs, and really good food. Okay, what about ghee? I know we've talked about a couple of things that, you know, I never ghee. Uh, ghee is a classic clarified butter, originated in ancient India. It's commonly used in the cuisine of Indian subcontinent, Middle Eastern cuisine, South Asian cuisine, Southeast Asian cuisine, traditional medicine, religious rituals. British Bake Off also was used in my kitchen until I stopped, uh, like, uh, because I only had the one kind. At Buffalo Ghee. Another great song. Buffalo, all, all, take out your Buffalo Ghee tonight. All the Buffalo Ghee tonight, take it out. Uh, it's traditionally prepared by simmering butter, which is churned from cream, traditionally made by churning the topmost layer, uh, skimming any impure, 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 impurities, then pouring out the remaining clear liquid fat while discarding the solid residue that's settled to the bottom. Yes, yeah, spices could be added. The one I have has spices. Texture, color, and taste of ghee depends on the quality of the butter, the milk source used in the production, and the time spent boiling. Uh, let's see. Traditionally, Greek ghee is made from bovine milk, uh, as cows are considered sacred. Uh, and, uh, oh, here, like, so flavor. Main component of ghee are carbonols, of fatty-free acids, lactones, and alkanols. Along with the flavor of milk fat, the ripening of the butter, and the temperature at which it's clarified affect the flavor versus clarified butter. Gleer, ghee, ghee, this is all from Wikipedia, by the way. It's, uh, it differs in its production. The process of creating traditional clarified butter is completed once the water is evaporated and the fats is separated from the milk solids. However, the production of ghee includes simmering the butter, which makes it nutty-tasting and aromatic. So it's a little bit about ghee. Uh, okay, one thing that was interesting is that uh, Rahul is, uh, was going to a leisure center, which is a new word for me. And I know he lives in Sheffield, so I want to take some time to check out leisure centers in Sheffield. Sheffield, Sheffield, Sheffield. I don't want to out his leisure center because I don't know which one it was, but he would bring cakes. I said, I would love to work at that leisure center. One, just to see him because he seems very cheery. I mean, he seems like he has my personality, but he does seem charming. So he has some of the more, you know, some other aspects uh, and very thoughtful. So one of the big ones is, uh, let's see. Let me see here. I'm going to open it in a browser. This is the Sheffield Leisure Center for the city of Sheffield's Leisure Center, Hillsborough Leisure Center. So I just want to find out a little bit more about it. Uh, so the Hillsborough Leisure Center activity. Now, this is in 2020, 2021 when I'm recording this. Uh, oh, yeah, and, and when you're listening to it. So, you know, things are a little bit different now. You book it online. But they have a gym with instructors that care and want to support you. Each month you can, you'll can you receive a, a complimentary motivation session to keep you on track. Uh, the gym is open to pay-as-you-go customers, and you can have a membership. They have fitness classes, body pump. They have that body pump at a gym by me. Uh, LBT, Pilates. Oh, yeah, Les Mills. That's the same one, yeah. 
Those are in the sports hall. Then they have, this might be the one he's at, lane swimming. Lane swimming. Looks like they have a water slide there. Let's put this on my one day to visit. Take a dip in the one twenty-one meter lane swimming pool. You could also use the Sheffield lifeguard to make savings at the Hillsborough Leisure Center and the Sheffield City Trust venues. That's only three pounds uh, for discounts. And they also try to make it very accessible. Let's see what some of the other Sheffield City Trust venues for the future, 2021-2022. Oh, yeah, any of these could be. There's multiple leisure centers. This is Westfield, the Ice Sheffield, the Springs Leisure Center, Ponds Forge International Sports Center, Hillsborough Leisure Center, the Healy Pool and Gym, the England Institute of Sports of Sheffield, and the Concord uh, Sports Center. Now, I got a couple of the top, the best rated and the top rated. Uh, here's three of the best leisure centers in Sheffield, according to threebestrated.co.uk. Uh, all of Sheffield's leisure centers get a rigorous 50-point inspection. So the Hillsborough Leisure Center on this is top rated. Uh, yeah, got high scores. Then the Ponds Forge International Sports Center does very well. And the Springs Leisure Center came in third, but they also scored very high. But this one is more of an independent site, uh, dayoutwiththekids.co.uk. And it says, okay, we've grounded up the best swimming pools and leisure centers in Sheffield in our quest to discover brilliant family attractions and places to visit near you. There are 31 swimming pools and leisure centers to pick from. Find the perfect place to go with your kids. Uh, Oh, day out with the kids. I thought it was day out without the kids. But I think this, okay, so you got Ponds Forge, Rother, Rotherham Leisure Complex. Ponds Forge also looks like it has two water slides. Uh, Queens Park uh, Sports Center. That could be where Maltby Swimming Center. Metrodome Leisure Complex also looks like it's pretty cool. Water slides. The Dome Doncaster. Also looks like it has a lot of play stuff. Uh, Llamas Leisure Center and Ice Rink uh, has, uh, that looks fun. Water Meadows, uh, Dewsbury Sports Center. All these have at least one or two water slides. Huddersfield uh, High Leisure Pool. Now I feel like I'm getting ripped off living in the U.S., uh, we don't have any of these. I mean, you guys see, oh, you got to go to that one company that has like one in every state or the pods, uh, dimensions that has one, a water slide that looks like a, a giraffe, the leisure center, Keeley, Yarborough leisure center, Meadows, Meadowside, Akili, the Pelican center, the hydro, Nairsborough Pool, Pendle Wavelengths Swimming Pool. That has some kind of bubbler going. Harper's at Grantham, Hood Park, Lido. Outdoor one at Marinthingham. That has an old-fashioned water slide. I'd still go down that. Splash at Riverside and the Natwich Outdoor Brine Pool. So that's a little bit about the Sheffield uh, thing. What about Terry? One of the great charmers. Uh, a lot of great moments with Terry during his season. 
this actually, well, I guess maybe we should save these for five. Yeah. So I guess we'll come back to this till episode five. Uh, right. Is that when? Yeah. Terry's not on episode four. We do have Anthony who's when the filming was 30, he was a baker. Oh, this is from an article in Metro CO.UK. Bollywood baker, self-described, learned to bake from his father. If you could bake an illusion cake, what would you bake? Himalayan mountains. What was the most surprised you on the bake-off? Uh, all my friends, or who would be most surprised? All my friends back in India, they knew me to be a singer and a choir and a band. Let's also check in with Amelda. Uh, she was a countryside recreation officer. She grew up in Northern Ireland where she learned to cook and bake from her mother. Uh, why did you join the tent? I went in for the challenge, but also to get some confidence in meeting new people. I don't normally put myself out there. How is your kitchen different than the tent? Uh, so different. Everything is always on hand. So there's no time pressure and we have an open door policy. And who else do we have? Uh, oh, Luke. That, let's get Luke some press, you know. Luke was also 30 when they filmed this. So Luke, Luke looks, uh, I mean, he does, does look a bit younger. Uh, he's a civil servant and a DJ. His earliest memory of baking is on a mini step ladder so he could help his nan bake. Been baking since he was 10. He also lives in Sheffield. Uh, when you bake at home, how is it different than the tent? Well, on weekends is when I bake. Uh, after work sometimes it's different. Uh, no pressure, no clock. I like to have music playing. I always have my sous chef dog, Oscar, by my side. But I do have some miss having someone to clean up after me and wash all the pots. That's my least favorite part. If you had to invent a new crisp of flavor, that's potato chip, I think, for you in the U.S., uh, what would it be? Sunday roast flavored crisp. That's my favorite meal. There would have to be a Yorkshire flavor or Yorkshire pudding flavor coming through. One of the best bits of Sunday dinner. So it's Metro UK. We, we won't do the Terry stuff because you got some good stuff. What about the um, harvest, the the whole grain harvest? Uh, I had a note about this. Uh, Yam Lamas, Yamas, uh, L-A-M-M-A-S, also called Lugnashda. Uh, this is, oh, this is from learnreligions.com. It's written by Patty Washington, April of 2019. Uh, August, uh, bright reds and yellows of the harvest se season are just around the corner. Apples are ripening. And, uh, now's the time to be in reaping what we're going to sow. Uh, first harvest is a grain, wheat, so notes to celebrate it and celebrate to honor the god Lu, Lu. L-U-G-H, or just a celebration of the harvest. Uh, you know, grains had an important, important place in civilization back to the beginning of time. It's associated with cycle of uh, rebirth. Uh, the Sumerian god Tammuz uh, when it, you know went to the big, big uh, grain in the sky, and his lover Ishtar grieved so heartily that nature stopped producing. Ishtar mounted. Well, mourned Tammuz, uh, followed him to the underworld, and brought him back. Uh, very similar to Demeter and Persephone. In Greek legend, the grand god was Adonis. Uh, two goddesses, Aphrodite and Persephone, battled for his love. Uh, 
And that's how uh, Zeus ordered Adonis to spend six months, six months with Persephone in the underworld and the rest with Aphrodite. Uh, feast of bread. In early Ireland, it was a bad idea to harvest your grain any time before Yamas, uh, or Lamas. Uh, it meant that the previous year, harvest had run out early, and there was a failing in the agricultural communities. However, on August 1st, the first sheaves of grain were cut by the farmer, and by nightfall, they were making the first loaves of bread. Uh, the word Lamas derives from the Old English phrase, which translates to, to loaf mass uh, because in early Christian times, the first loaves of the season were blessed by the church. Uh, even uh, more interesting is uh, like uh, in some Wiccan and modern pagan traditions, Lamas is also a day of honoring Lu, the Celtic craftsman god, a god of many skills honored in various aspects uh, in the British Isles in Europe. Still celebrated today and has a, his appearance in many European towns as the names of the towns. It's easy to forget that there was reasons to celebrate because it was, uh, you know, there was so much uncertainty. Let's also check over on Wikipedia. Uh, Lu, Lu, Nessa, Lu, Nessa. Or it's a Gaelic festival marching, marking the beginning of the uh, harvest season. Historically celebrated Ireland, Scotland, the Isle of Man. Uh, mentioned in early Irish literature. Uh, festivals begun by Lou. Yeah, it was a feast for passing, athletic competitions. Uh, commemoration of Lou's mother, uh, who, do, who who passed away from exhaustion from clearing the plains of uh, Ireland for agriculture. T- I can't see Tiley two Tiley two Yeah, the the, the would be uh, kings would attend. Uh, truce would be declared for the duration of the games. And there's modern uh, customs, uh, yeah, even uh, modern or Celtic neo-pagans uh, celebrate their names, so their uh, celebrations can differ wildly. But it's, I guess, like a first autumn, har- an autumn harvest festival. Okay, Brian May came up uh, from Queen in this episode. Uh, CBE, Brian May, is, so is that like a... Uh, what's the OB, difference between CBE and OB? Let me click on it and find out. Oh, CBE and OB uh, both redirect here. So he's royalty, yeah. So he would say, that's a Sir Brian made to you. Lead guitarist to Queen, co-founder of Queen with Freddie Mercury and Roger Taylor. Having performed previously in Smile, then the, that was in 1970. Then they had John Deacon, uh, and that's when they became Queen uh, and the biggest rock band in the world with the sex success of the opera, the Night at the Opera, and the single Bohemian Rhapsody. And from the 70s to the early 90s, they were a constant presence on the UK charts, biggest venues in the world, the Live Aid performance, most 
famous, probably. May became regarded as a virtuoso musician, distinctive sound, layered guitar work, home-built electric guitar called the Red Special. Uh, Queen was on hiatus after the passing of Mercury. May and Taylor did do further performances. Uh, what else? Uh, Queen, 70 to 95. 83 to 99 solo work. So a long thing. Uh, and what else? Uh, 2000, uh, Lady Gaga. Like in 2011, she, he worked with Lady Gaga and you and I. Wait a second. Queen toured with Paul Rogers from 2004 to 2009. I guess I knew that. Uh, Rogers would be featured with Queen. Queen plus Paul Rogers. Uh, John Deacon did not participate. Now, Queen and Adam Lambert, really? Wow, this is like, a, this is all news to me. Uh, May is referred to as a virtuoso guitarist. Uh, Stevie Vai was uh, a big fan of his. Uh, the Red Special. May's early influences were Cliff Richard and the Shadows, uh, Hank Marvin. And then, of course, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, The Who, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Jeff Beck, and Eric Clapton are contemporaries he really likes. Uh, Rory Gallagher, Steve Hackett from uh, Genesis. So a lot of things. Uh, so, yeah, that's just a little bit about Brian May. So I don't know if Noel said he looked like Brian May or someone else looked like Brian May. And finally, let's uh, conclude with uh, two words, because uh, I couldn't spell it. First, there's stogie. Uh, stogie was what I was trying to look up, but stogie, which is spelled S-T-O-G-E, is, uh, uh, just stands for, huh, stogie. Uh, this is not, uh, this is supposed to be a, a, a dictionary, right? Oh, yeah, or stoge. Is it stoge? I, don't, I thought it was stogie, but it says uh, it's a noun, a cigarette. Uh, but I thought it was for a cigar. So maybe this is not pronounced stogie. But stodge was the word I wanted to look up for stodgy, which is a oh, verb to cram. Stodges. Uh, but in Britain, it's stodge. Uh, so third person is a singular simple present stodges, uh, stodging, present participle, simple past and is stodged. That's a transitive uh, verb to stuff or to cram, stodgy, which I guess makes sense kind of. Uh, so stodge or stodgy as a noun is heavy, dull, often starchy foods such as steamed pudding. Oh, and yeah, let's spell it, uh, stodge, uh, S-T-O-D-G-E, stodge. Uh, it could be used as a verb or a noun. Uh, and Scoots will be coming up here in a few minutes with uh, stuff from the next episode. Thanks, everybody. All right, patrons, it's uh, time to talk about episode four now from my notes. And let's see what juicy stuff, what ba- you know, bacon stuff came up. Uh Right, let's start off with Channel 4, because I'm not in the UK, and I never remember stuff when I look it up. Uh, I want to learn more about Channel 4. 
And according to Wikipedia, uh, Channel 4, parent company is Channel 4 Television Corporation. It's a British public service free-to-air television network with headquarters in London. Uh, also has a HQ in Leeds and creative hubs in Glasgow and Bristol. The channel was uh, established to provide a fourth television service to the UK in addition to the license-funded BBC One and BBC Two and the single commercial broadcasting network ITV. Began transmission on November 2nd or 2nd of November in 1982. Although largely commercially self-funded, it's ultimately publicly owned a subsidiary of the IBA, Independent Broadcasting Authority. And it's now operated by Channel 4 Television Corporation, a public corporation of the Department of Digital, Culture, Media, and Sports. In 2010, Channel 4 extended service into Wales and became a UK-wide television serve channel. Uh, before Channel 4 and S4C, British had three, Britain had three t- uh, terrestrial stations that we talked about. Broadcasting Act in 1980 began the process of creating a fourth, along with a Welsh counterpart uh, by the Act of Parliament in 1982. Then it had some test broadcasts. The notion of a second commercial broadcaster in the UK had been around since the inception of ITV, ITV in 1954. And it's launched in 55. It was going to be called ITV2. It was long expected and pushed for. Indeed, uh, television sets in the 70s and 80s had a spare tuning button labeled uh, ITV IBA2. Uh, but uh, there was a long dialogue. Uh, the ITV companies, other interested parties, uh, and politics probably came into play. Uh, at the time, the Forest Service was being considered in Wales, so they lobbied for a creation of a dedicated service that would air Welsh language programs. Then they were, at the time, they were only catered to in off-peak times on BBC Wales and HTV, and uh, a lot of work were in it. Uh, the result was that Channel Four, as seen by the rest of the UK, would be based in Wales by S4C, Channel Four Wales. Uh, and operated by its uh, specifically created authority, S4C, would air programs in Welsh uh, made by HTV, the BBC, and independent companies. So, yeah, then there's Channel 4 Television Corporation, uh, which was created in 1993. It, it shifted the style of broadcasting. Instead of serving the fringes, it began to focus on the edges of the mainstream. And finally became the center of mass market itself. Uh, began to show U.S. programs in peak v- viewing times. UK in the UK premieres of Friends and ER. In the 2000s, Channel Four began reality formats like Big Brother, mass sporting events, uh, and then it had uh, things uh, partially in reaction to its populist direction. Quotes. Uh, Communication Act of 2003 directed the channel to demonstrate innovation, experimentation, and creativity and appeal to a cultural, diverse uh, set of tastes. Uh, let's see. It has a public service remit. Uh, it was established with and continues to hold a remit of public service obligations to which it must fulfill. Uh, the preamble of the remit is from 2003 Communication Act says the public service remit for Channel 4 is a provision of a broad range of high quality and diverse program, which in particular, 
demonstrates innovation, experimentation, creativity, and form and content of programs, appeals to tastes and interests of a culturally diverse society, makes a significant contribution to the meeting to meeting the need for licensed public service channels to include programs of educational nature and other programs of educative value and exhibits a d- distinctive character. Also, to provide programming for schools and a substantial amount of programming produced outside of Greater London. Carriage uh, Channel 4 was carried from the beginning on analog terrestrial, which was practically the only means of broadcast at the time. Uh, then it went digital in 1998, and now it's available on digital terrestrial, the Sky platform. It's a free sat platform. It gets free carriage on terrestrial platforms in contrast with other broadcasters like ITV that are for, you know, because it's public sector. It's carried in uh, Ireland, Northern Ireland, uh, Irish cable networks, Switzerland. Uh, it's also offered at the, the BFBS, uh, British Forces Broadcasting Service, uh, around the world. And uh, also on Virgin Mobile's DAB TV. So, yeah, so that's a little bit about Channel 4. How about Custard Pie? Let's change it up. Uh, Custard Pie, according to Wikipedia, is any type of uncooked custard mixture added to an uncooked or partially cooked crust and baked together. In North America, Custard Pie commonly refers to a plain mixture of milk, eggs, sugar, salt, vanilla extract, and sometimes nutmeg with a pie crust. Uh, It's distinctly different from a cream pie, which contains cooked custard poured into a cooled, pre-cooked crust. Uh, In the UK, the comical or political act of being pied is done with custard pie. Common custard pies include pumpkin pie, lemon and buttermilk, chest pie, lemon, Buttermilk and buttermilk chest pie, coconut cream pie, oh boy, and buco pie. True custard is, is defined as a liquid thickened with eggs. Uh, due to a large number of whole eggs, a custard is a very rich pie. Ancient Romans were the first to understand the binding properties of eggs, according to Wikipedia. In Middle Ages, the first custard pies as we know them began to appear. Initially, custards were only used as fillings for pies, pastries, and tarts. Europe and Asia also had recipes that contained custards. Uh, Custrade is where the word is derived from. And yeah, they're also used as a comedic device in pieing someone. The custard pie throwing at the World Custard Pie Throwing Championship at Coxheath. And the Phantom Flan Flinger. So uh, that's in Kent, England, where the uh, championships are held. That'd probably be fun to attend. Let's put it on my list uh, that I'm not keeping. What about, here's some, we got to get some SAT words in. Or crosswords for crosswords or squidge. Uh, can you use it in a sentence? Uh, yeah, uh, to squidge between one's fingers, according to Wikinictionary. Squidge. Uh, it's a UK word. Uh, it can be used as a verb or a noun. Uh, informally squash, uh, uh, most often between one's fingers, uh, third person, singular, present squidges, a present participle squidging, simple past and past participle squidged. Also used in tiddlywinks to fire a wink with a squidger. 
would be to squidge. As a noun, it means a tight place or squeeze or the act of firing a wink with a squidger. You squidge. Uh, and that's spelled S-Q-U-I-D-G-E. Squidge. To squidge. All right, let's get another word in here. Seepage. S-E-E-P-A-G-E. Seepage. Uh, seepage. It is a combination of seep and age uh, together. Process which a liquid leaks or a porous substance. Uh, the process of seeping. It's a noun. Water that has seeped through or oozed out of porous soil is also seepage. What about Starsky and Hutch? This is before my time. There was a movie. I may have seen the movie, but I'm not sure. Todd Phillips' uh, film. Uh, but Starsky and Hutch, oh, spell it. S-T-A-R-S-K-Y and Hutch, H-U-T-C-H, is an American action television series. It was it consisted of a 70-minute pilot movie. That was a movie of the week. In 92 50-minute episodes, uh, produced by Spelling Goldberg Productions, went from April 1975 to May 1979 on ABC. It uh, has been a movie and a video game. The series protagonists were Southern California police detectives Michael Star- David Michael Starsky and uh, uh, played by Paul Michael Glazier. Uh, from the he's a veteran from Brooklyn, streetwise manner, intense, moody, and Richard Hutch or Kenneth Richard. They both have two first names. Kenneth Richard Hutch Hutchinson, played by David Soul, from Minnesota, uh, uh, Duluth, uh, reserved intellectual. Under the call radio call sign Zebra Three, they are known for tearing around the streets of the fictional city Bay City. And most of it was shot in uh, the Los Angeles community of San Pedro. Uh, their exterior headquarters were San Pedro City Hall. San Pedro or San Pedro? I think maybe it was San Pedro. Uh, the characters and even some plot points were based on real-life uh, New York City detectives, Lou Tolano and Jonathan Seppe, who were known for their unconventional undercover police work. Uh, their car was a Ford Grand Torino, bright red, large white vector stripe on both sides. They used four different cars for filming. Earlier shots had red wing mirrors, except the pilot, which had silver mirrors. Uh, it was named, nicknamed the Striped Tomato by Hutch in the episode Snowstorm. They had, uh, like, uh, famously Huggy Bear, uh, who was, uh, Owned a bar was like one of their uh, uh, informants. I can remember people saying, "Oh, like Huggy Bear and other shows." Uh, uh, let's see. There was almost a spinoff with Huggy Bear and uh, Sheriff Turkey Turquette uh, becoming private investigators. Uh, season one and two was contrast to normal police characters in prior years. They are open uh, with physical gestures of friendly, brotherly affection towards one another, that they trusted one another. While likely normal by American standards in the 90s, such body language conflicted with the 70 norms of uh, emotionally strained masculinity. 
In a documentary tape made during the show's run, uh, the narrator intones that some uh, people like uh, like derided that. Many fans were attracted not just by the characters, but the quality of the writing during the first two seasons, even though they were just adapted to store, stories uh, to existing scripts. Uh, season one and aired Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. against Kate McShane on CBS and Petroselli on NBC. It had no trouble beating competition and finished number 16. Season two was moved to Saturday night. Up against tougher competition from Merrily Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart combo, and NBC Saturday Night of the Movies, but it still finished 34. In 1977, for season three, people were more concerned with uh, depictions of uh, action on TV, and uh, they tried to tone things down, tone down the action and play up the buddy buddy aspect of the show. Glazier became uh, jaded with the general theme of the show. And it just started, the popularity show started to fade. So that's just a little bit about it. So four, four seasons of uh, about 20, 23 or 24 episodes each. So Starsky and Hutch. Okay, you know, one thing that came up was Paul talking about his school desserts. And I talked about this on, the, on one of the episodes, how, like, yeah, you, back in the 80s and the 90s, and I think still today, though I don't practice it, kids would have a dessert in their lunch. Uh, and I'm sure it was very uh, profitable for the companies that sold desserts for kids, lunch-based desserts. Uh, but I guess, yeah, I've changed my views on that, of, even from my personal consumption of uh, dessert-type products. As much as I love them, I, you know, my, like, I, can't, I still am like, if my daughter knew what I was eating for lunch, she would be uh, very resentful. She'd be, because, uh, but so... I don't know. There's uh, the idea, like, uh, I don't, uh, like, so I said, Paul was talking about it, like his school lunches uh, and the desserts they had. Uh, so I tried to find some stuff about that. I didn't find a good article. I did find this, though, on Vox. Uh, and this was from uh, 2015. Uh, Libby Nelson, uh, November 29th, writing for uh, Vox, is. Uh, British desserts explained for Americans confused by the British baking show. This was before Peru's time on the great British baking show. So while you're watching this show, uh, you know, you might be confused by pudding or biscuit. The two meanings of the word pudding, I'm paraphrasing, but pudding is, can be, uh, used generically to the sweet final course of a meal. What Americans know as desserts. Also, this gets into the class system, Upper-class Britons, uh, with everyone else, categorized pudding as something used by the elite and sweet as something used by the proletariat. Pudding can also be a specific dish. British pudding isn't the same as the American one. American puddings are more of a cu- what Brit- Brits would call custard. A British pudding is a, a, a sa- dish of savory or sweet, cooked by being boiled or steamed in something. Could be a dish, cloth, uh, the earliest puddings were, were uh, uh, well, I don't want to get too deep into that. Stuff you'd have for breakfast, more savory. Other puddings are sweet, such as spotted dick, uh, store steam cake with currants, uh, and uh, roly-poly pudding, uh, pastry uh, with jam rolled up. Uh, 
And then to make it even more confusing, some dishes referred to as puddings are baked uh, but were formerly boiled or steamed like sticky toffee pudding, a date cake with caramel sauce that's traditionally steamed but is now more often baked, and then biscuit. American biscuits are fluffy breads. We kind of covered this. uh, That's what Brits would call scone. American scones are different just because I don't know why. to the rest of the English-speaking world, a biscuit is what Americans would call a cookie or a cracker. It could be sweet uh, or savory, baked in the oven, crisp but not chewy. What about chewy co- chewy cookies like chocolate chip or snickerdoodle? They're not as common in the UK, but they're still called cookies. So, wait, well, this is a very long article, really good stuff. Uh, but later in the article, it describes... Uh, the most interesting differences don't show up in what the baked goods are, baked goods are called. Uh, it's what they're baking in the first place. Uh, some savory pastry challenges are more influenced by the French than British, and Americans just won't recognize them. And traditional British desserts are very different than American ones. Uh, it's just scratching the surface. Nearly all classic British desserts are, are rarely eaten in the U.S. So let's let's just follow. Let's go down. This has a, a link to a Serious Eats article about them. So let's take a quick rundown this rabbit hole. This is by Natalie Hardwick, uh, May seventh, twenty fourteen. A guide to British uh, scones uh, is a scone. Own. If you want to sound snotty, rhyme it with own. Scone. If you want to sound authentic, rhyme it with con. These are buns that are unyeasted, so they're dense. Spread them with jam and clotted cream. They could be chalky. Lardy cake, a sweet fruit bread dough made with lard. Sultanas, citrus peel. There's currant breads. uh, Popping in the kettle is a national sport, so there's no shortage of regional sweet tea breads. Chelsea bun, rolled, which I think John made in this episode even. Rolled yeasted bread bun with currants. Uh, trifle is a retro layered dessert, almost camp in its multicolored brashness. A sponge, sometimes encased in jello, custard, whipped cream, grated dark chocolate, or carry kirch. Angel Delight, uh, a midweek dessert so American, I can't believe it. Uh, it's a uh, tastes like it looks like a cloud. Stra- tastes like strawberry cotton wool and comes out of a packet. Uh, all that's required is for the home cook is to whisk the four serving pouch of fruit flavored powder with milk, and it turns into a frothy mousse. Cranachan, Scottish dessert, whipped double cream, raspberries, and toasted oatmeal. Eaten mess. Uh, uh, created in the private boys' school of Eaton, when a dish of meringue is whipped and sweetened double cream uh, was dropped and ended up in broken pieces of meringue, like a deconstructed pavlova. Jam roly poly is a pudding, uh, which we just covered, rolled like a Swiss roll, boiled and sliced. Spotted dick is a Another pudding with raisins and flavorings. Citrus peel looks like a play. It looks a bit like Play-Doh. Arctic roll, one of the only examples of a store-bought sweet having the edge of a homemade cylindrical ice cream log surrounded by a sponge jacket and jam, served with extra cream. 
fruit fool. Uh, the base is a uh, pureed or semi-crushed fruit, sweetened cream, icing sugar, custard. Could be two layered. Gooseberries, strawberries, or raspberries. And there's even more. So uh, Bakewell tarts. Oh, well, this is everything. Yum, yum. I got to add, I got to make sure to copy this link. So I'll do it while I'm here with you live uh, to add it to our notes so that you can read even more about that. That's exciting, isn't it? Paste it in here. Okay, let's go, go a couple more here, though, huh? Okay, what's cooking America.net? This has, what is, oh, this is double cream. Because uh, I said, what's double cream anyway? Here's some of the different types of cream there's half and half, which is 12% butter fat, single cream, 20%. Uh, Light cream is 20%, but the fat, fat range has got to be 80 to 20. Oh, butter fat versus fats. Whipping cream, 30% butter fats. Heavy cream, I never knew this facts, uh, and I won't remember them. Heavy cream or heavy whipping cream is 36 to 38%. Probably easier to make whipped cream. Double cream, 48% uh, butter cream or butter fat. That's a British term for a heavy whipping cream in the United States, but it's a little thicker than our whipping cream. It's uh, so rich, in fact, it's easy to overwhip and get too thick. Then clotted cream, which is 55 to 60%, or Devonshire or Devon cream. Scalded or cooked flavor, uh, traditionally served with tea and scones. And then creme fraiche is a matured, thickened cream with a tangy, nutty flavor. Its thickness can range uh, to sour cream to almost solid. So there's a little bit about cream. Isn't it, isn't it interesting to learn about cream? That's I-N-N-I-T, isn't it? Which Dan said uh, in response to something, which is informal uh, contraction for isn't it? Uh, isn't it your birthday today? So according according to this, it's a word, uh, I-N-N-I-T, British Informal Prescribed. Uh, you're listening to pop music, isn't it? So what does that mean? Uh, use this replacement for any negative tag question, introspective of person, number, or verb, or used as a discard, discourse marker. I like pop music, isn't it? So you can use it a lot of different ways. Uh, you you talking to me, isn't it? Is that? Yeah, I think so. Did you just, are you staring at me, isn't it? Maybe I could work that into my daily discussions. Also, another word to learn, wallop uh, was used in this episode. W-A-L-L-O-P. Dollop or wallop. Uh, and uh, it's uh, can have emotional impact, physiological force, excited, thrilling reaction. Anything produced by a process that involves boiling. That's what it was used. Or a thick piece of fat. A rolling movement, a gallop, uh, or sometimes an impact. Yeah, we said like emotional impact. Uh, so a wallop. Uh. And finally, I want to figure out, I went over to Wikipedia, exactly what's a opera cake. Uh, gateau, opera, is made with layers of almond sponge cake. Uh, 
soaked in coffee syrup, layered with ganache and coffee or Grand Marnier, Grand Marnier French buttercream, and a chocolate glaze. Opera Gateau is an elaborate almond sponge cake with coffee and chocolate icing filling. It was popularized uh, by the Patissier House uh, Dalio, Dalio, uh, uh 1955. It was probably created, uh, um, uh, yeah, maybe somebody else also said they created it in 1960, though there was an ad in uh, a paper in 1899. Uh, doesn't really say much about its use, though. So let's jump in one more syllabub. Uh, who, who, who you calling a syllabub? Syllabub, isn't it? Uh, is a sweet dish from Cornish cuisine made by curdling sweet cream or milk with uh, acid like wine or cider. It's popular from the 7th, 16th to the 19th centuries. Early recipes for syllabub are for a drink of cider and milk. Uh, let's see, it evolved by the 17th century into, this is from Wikipedia, into a type of dessert made by sweet white wine. More wine was added to make a punch, but it could have been a thicker consistency that could be eaten with a spoon or a topping for a trifle or a dip for sponge cake. Uh, holiday punch, uh, sweet and frothy was sometimes, uh, let's see, milk and cream used in those days would have been thicker than modern recipes. It's just a beautiful spelling. Uh, it was in Samuel Pepys' diary uh, more than once as soily bubby. Uh, so, let's see. Quart of thick cream. This is also from Wikipedia. Half pint of sack. Juice of two Seville oranges or lemons. Grate of the peels and uh, half pound of sugar. Then whipped and put into the glass. And then curdled cream floated on it. Uh, Syllabub, though, by the way, all my to all my syllabub uh, bubbies out there, uh, is S Y L L A B U B syllabub. So I just want to say good night to all my beautiful bakers and uh, syllabubs uh, out there, bub 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 bubbing you off to dreamland. Good night.